said, it's been more than 10 years since I've spoken up here in front of anybody, and I'm just a little bit nervous about that. Granted, it's something I do as part of my livelihood, but I don't speak to audiences. I generally speak to one person who I have to focus on. Um, I also want you to know, as they said, my name is Alan Mitchell. I'm one of the elders here, but I'm one of three Allens, and I found out recently that I actually have a designation because I'm one of three. I'm actually Allen number two. So <laughs> just to let you all know that, that that's, that's the other part of my designation. Again, we also have three Daves, so each of those Daves has a number designation also. Um, today, uh, as I thought, as I was thinking about today's sermon and what I was trying to decide on, my, my sermon, as you can see on the board, is how big is your fig leaf? And I was really troubled on how I was going to get there from here, uh, but Jennifer alluded to that this morning. It just so happened as the Lord is often generous and gracious to me with, he gave me the scripture under Romans 8, which talks about the, we are more than conquerors. So I want to read part of that. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things, the things of God, the thing, goodness of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give, give us all things? Who will bring any, cha any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face, uh, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So as I, as I go through this message, I want uh, to kind of let you think about it from that perspective. What is it, what is it that makes us more than conquerors? And what is it that keeps us from attaining that, that place through Christ that he has, he has called us to be, to be, to be his people, to be his heirs, to be his ambassadors, to be all of those things that he wants from us, to be the people that God created us to be. So I do have to start, as, as many of you are aware, the story of Genesis is the first place where we talk about fig leaves. And, and except, except for my, uh, my new lenses, I usually can see pretty much anything without glasses. But since my hardcore and hard script Bible uh, is in smaller print, I think I need them for this moment. So in... Uh, in Genesis, Genesis 1 through, uh, through 10, it goes, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of, uh, the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say 
You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Satan then comes back and says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree, uh, saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I just want to make a note here that the way that John Eldridge referred to it when he, when he gives his courses, he says, you know, uh, he was the biggest failure at that moment because he didn't stand up for what he knew he was told from God. So it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. It is amazing to me that when we, when we are born, we are all born uh, broken and in sin because of what Adam did at the initial fall, what's called the fall in the, Garden of, uh, in the Garden of Eden. And it's very interesting that those first emotions that we get are knowledge of nakedness and fear. I was afraid. And unfortunately, we as humans and we as people, even as people of God, we then try to put things over us to cover us up, to hide those, those fears, those sh- the shame, the guilt, all the things that God never <laughs> intended for us. But we put these fig leaves on, and that's what we need to talk about. So I also want to note uh, that it's, it's very interesting that almost immediately after God curses the ground and so forth and tells, tells man and tells Adam and Eve what the penalties are for what he did, he also comes back and his first act is an act of trying to rebuild the relationship. He clothes them with, their, uh, with garments, okay? And it says then, um, this is in verse 21 of Genesis 3, It said, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them, an act of compassion, an act of of wanting to reestablish that relationship with God. So let's talk about this fig leaf thing. And the fig leaf is really just a metaphor, again, to hide uh, the the things that that we don't want anybody else to see. Uh, it's an object that is uh, that hides up, it covers up anything that's embarrassing or distasteful, uh, and it and it d- tries to make it look as something that's innocuous, right? It's not so bad, you know. I'm not so bad. See, I got this fig leaf here. How nice, you know. When I um, when I first started on my my journey, uh, I ended up going. 
and uh, reading a book called Waking the Dead. It's a book written by John Eldridge. And the first time I read it, I kind of thought, yeah, this is a nice book, good psychology. My, my degree was in psychology. And I thought, this is, this is very interesting and so forth. It was interesting enough for me that my brother who read it, made it, it made him so mad that he threw the book up against the wall. It just made him so angry. He couldn't, he couldn't take what it was revealing in his own heart. So on a trip to Vancouver, I actually picked up the book again, again with that concept. Well, this is nice, good psychology. I'll read it. And I ended up in tears most of the time because it revealed truly how big my fig leaf was and what I had tried to cover up in my entire life. I spent a good portion into my 40s living out of fear and acting out of fear, trying to be a peacemaker is really what it did. But what happened was, and this is one of the things that Eldridge talks about, and it's one of the things that I discovered when I went to one of his first boot camps, is that I was kind of thinking, because he says everybody has a wound, and everybody does. And, and I personally, mine came, in my estimation, it came from my father, and it came from when I was eight years old. I was kind of mouthy at that point, you know, kids spreading their wings as, as best as they know how to do, and not very articulate at it. And he grabbed me up, and he threw me out the door, and he said, get out and don't come back. And I, I mean, I was outside, and I'm trying to wonder, how do I survive? You know, where does my next meal come from? Where am I going to live tonight? Where, you know, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I make it? So I'm asking these questions as an eight-year-old, and I'm looking at the house uh, that's just just south of me uh, from the, the carport that I was sitting on the step of saying, should I go down and, and ask these people if I can come stay with them and make some, make some changes or, or what? Well, ultimately, my father brought me back in, but I realized at that point that that, that particular wound caused me to be frightened of, of what power could do. And if we think about God, God is the all-powerful. So it made me believe, number one, that, that God could even get rid of me. And what that, what that, did, what that conference did for me, it, real, it made me realize a term that I used for almost all of my life into my 40s and so, that I was a, a disposable person. A disposable person. So disposable that my father could even try to get rid of me and that God could even snap his fingers and I would be nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. So you might see how that could lead somebody to live, out of, live in a fearful life and live in a way that was not particularly helpful or wholesome. So... Um, I know that um, out of all of this, what I did was I made a vow. I determined if, if, if all of that could happen to me, 
you know, if I could, if I could be disposable, then the only way I could protect myself is to not rely on anybody. And so I became, I became self-sufficient in so many ways. Uh, I, I was a loner, uh, didn't have many relationships, I didn't, uh, didn't uh, I was not really willing to chance with anybody, uh, relationship with anybody. Uh, I, did, I did get married uh, when I was about 26, and because of because of all my all my pain and all my uh, all my doubts and fears and everything, ultimately after 11 years of marriage, that ended. Uh, I was always looking for somebody else to tell me how how either good I was or if I was okay enough. And I and I hid behind my fig leaf, like I said, well into my 40s. So, after Eldridge and after those, those times, there were, there were a number of other things that I started to, to realize that there was something more. I saw it in people, I saw it in God's people, how uh, they had something different, how they had something more peaceful, how they had more life, and I desired that. And ultimately, I had to come up with this concept of what, what's the desire of my heart. Well, ultimately, we all have deep desires in our heart that God put there for us. He made us, he made us so that we could be more than conquerors. He made us so that we take off these fig leaves. He made us so that we would not have to live in guilt and shame and fear it by trusting in Him, by looking at Him because He's the one who tells us who we are. He tells us who we're going to be. He tells us what strength that we have. He tells us what love capacities we have because he shows it to us each and every day. So in my, in my desire, my deep desire to love and be loved, uh, I did all kinds of things to sabotage that. Uh, I went, my, my goal was always in education. I had always wanted higher degrees. I thought that was the way that you become self-sufficient. I thought that was one of the ways that you could get people to like you because if you knew enough, right, people would be drawn to you. And actually for me, it pushed people away. <laughs> you know, I, I saw people get at, get at arm's length real quickly when I, when I started getting into my pose, right? And my pose was the thing that I used to hide behind, intellect intellect, no emotion, no heart, just a place in my brain that I thought, if I know enough, I'll be okay. Well, as you all might expect, God has a way of looking at us and saying, well, that's nice, you know, Alan, I appreciate that, but uh, that's not who you are, and we kind of need to deal with it. So, I, um, I, I ended up breaking at one point. Uh, it was actually shortly, shortly after my first marriage ended, and I came here to Dothan in 1998, uh, and I got with uh, the, one of the former pastors of this, this fellowship who, just after having brain surgery, 
within three or four weeks of having his brain cut on, was willing to work with me. And he did so, and that was part of the beginning of my journey to learn about my heart. So, as much destruction as I had had previous to that, I started seeing truly the love of God in my life. And I sat out there in that lobby, and I fell to my knees, and I asked God to forgive me for all that time that I had wasted not knowing him. And for my walk over the last 20 years, he has honored every single step of the way. And the important thing to note is um, in terms of being an overcomer and a more than conqueror is that I was reading one day when I thought about my sins and failures and all the things that had had gone awry in my life and where I had stepped off the mark and hadn't, hadn't done the things that really God had called me to, do, to be, I came across uh, Luke 22, 31 and 32. And I have to tell you that there are two times in the Bible where Satan has actually come and said to God, said, uh, I want that man right there. The first time was in Job. When he said, you know, they say, consider my, my man Job, what a good guy he is. Look what he does. Look how good he is to everything. Look at all the things that he has. And Satan says, yeah, give me a shot at him. Let's see what happens then. And you all know the story that Job ultimately ends up questioning God. And God says, well, well, wait a minute. Where were you when all of this happened? Where were you when I formed the earth? Where were you? Come on. Where were you? You know, give me a little credit here. I know what's going on. And, of course, everything was ultimately restored to him. The second time actually is just before um, Peter denies Christ before the cock crows three times. And what, what it says, though, before that, here's Christ uh, addressing Peter and talking to Peter, and here's what Christ says. He says... He says um, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And the thing that caught me was a semicolon. And a semicolon is a pause. It's a change of direction. It's a change in the movement of things, how things are going to move. And he says, and when... And when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you have once turned again. You know what? I know you're going to fail this. I know you're not going to make it. I know this is going to go south for you in a big way. But when you come back to me, when you know who I am, when you realize all I am in your life, Strengthen the brothers. Strengthen the brothers. And that was the thing that changed it for me. Because then was my beginning of the understanding of grace. God bless grace. If it weren't for grace and the understanding of what that means in my life, I probably would still be shattered. But when I found grace, 
And when I understood that God, God loves me so much that he gave his only son for my life, my life, individually, not a group of us, my life individually, that made me solid in my belief. As I told you, what I believe that God initially, because of my, my religious upbringing, uh, and I will tell you, I've been an Episcopalian, I've been a Methodist, I have been uh, a Presbyterian. It all sounded great, but the bottom line is all of it taught a combination of grace and works. Grace, but you have to do this in order to get God's favor. Grace, but you have to do this to get God's favor. And that's not grace at all. It is grace and nothing else. Grace and nothing else. Your, your performances have nothing to do with how God sees you. Now, if it had to do with how God sees you, then you would think like I did that you should be, you know, what you, what you deserve, right, justice, what you deserve is to be a speck of dust on the ground that goes, and it's gone. And I, I, love, I love listening to Christian music. And, and this was kind of, this, was, this would go along with my thinking early on uh, in, Christian, in, in Christianity and what I was trying to, what I thought I was trying to accomplish by being a Christian. Um, this was a song that was actually the number one hit in 2014, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but y'all will probably recognize it when you hear it. And it says... Make me broken so I can be healed. And then there's kind of a description of that. And then it says, make me empty so I can be filled. It says, make me lonely so I can be yours. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know about you. That makes me feel really bad. I mean... That makes me feel horrible because what that says is that we have a God up there who is wanting us to be less than what we are. He's beating us down. He's trying to make us into something for our benefit. It takes away our free will, number one. That's one of the things it does. It takes away our, our desire to actually come to God because we desire to come to God because of the beautiful person, the beautiful person, the beautiful thing that he is in our lives. When we talk about praise and worship, praise is thanking God for what he's done in our lives. I praise God every single day for what he's done in my life. I praise him for that. I am so grateful. But worship, worship is about God just for who God is. It's tender. It's loving. It's out of an abundance of the heart that he created in us. So, this one, this one felt like, you know, God beat me, hurt me, called me Edna, and I didn't like that a whole lot. Although it was a good song, and I thought, yeah, yeah, that's really what I want, but it's not, it's not what I want. I don't want God to beat me up. I was doing it myself. I had enough loneliness in my own heart that I wanted to be towards God. I had enough hurt in my own heart that I wanted to be towards God. I had all those things in place and none of them that were satisfying. As I was, as I was exploring 
grace. And as I was trying to understand grace, uh, another area for me that that opened my eyes uh, was Galatians 3.1. And in Galatians 3.1, basically it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I've taught you about grace, but somehow you believe you have to have grace and something else. You have to have God's, God's love for you, but you have to do something to get it. And that's called, that's called the, 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 what uh, 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 Rob Rufus, when I was doing the, the study of what grace is, learning about grace, that's what Rob Rufus called the mongrel of grace and works. Okay, performance and works. Performance is works or performance and grace. Because what, what we got was freely given that we, didn't, we had nothing, nothing on our own deserved it. Nothing. And he loved us enough that he was willing to, to, to bring us back into relationship with him. And that's, that's the story that starts, as I said, back in Genesis. When, when, when Eve made a choice, and Adam went along with it. We had the fall. But God, in his great mercy, in his great tenderness, clothed Adam and Eve because he loved his creation, and he was trying to restore it from the very beginning. And he has done so. If you look at the history of the Bible, some of, the, some of that history is, is not particularly pretty. Uh, it, in fact, it, it's pretty brutal at times, but it's always a love and redemption story about God bringing his people back home to him. I think one of the things that happens to us, and, and I want to I be, be clear, um, we do live in a fallen world still because Christ has not returned. He has not returned to take hold of his people, you know, and, and, to, and to show them the fullness of what, what is in store for them, which we hear, read about in the Bible, and we hope for, right? We hope for. So I think about, you know, it's easy for us to take um, certain events that go on in our lives, you know, problems, um, sicknesses, things like that, and somehow blame God for it. You know, and that seems to be the easiest thing. Well, if God had just, right, if he had done this, we wouldn't be this way. Again, we live in a fallen world. I heard a, a, one of my ministers when I was a Methodist <laughs> talked about, he talked about, he said, you know, sometimes, actually a lot of the times, what we do is we blame the power company because our light bulb just went out. You know, maybe it's just a matter of changing the light bulb that fixes it. And so what, the way I interpret that is that if we change our focus, if things are going wrong, understand that it's because of the fallen world. Understand that really it's not God causing these things. But understand if we change our position, if we change what we look at and refocus our eyes on God, then we really see what he has in store for us and how much, again, he cares for us in the midst of all of this. So, many of you know 
um, that uh, my wife died a couple of years ago. And it would have been easy for me to blame God for that. But I would not have been able to minister to her in those last years of her life in a way that God called me to minister to her. It would not have allowed me to be all that I could be, the man that God created me to be for her life. And so I did understand, I was able to understand that it wasn't, it wasn't something that God caused in her life. It wasn't something that God placed upon her for some kind of sin, which is what a lot of people believe. But it had to do with living in a fallen world. And me, during that time, trying to continue to give her hope and have her constantly focus on the face of Jesus Christ, who is a beautiful and and was an incredible part of her life. And she loved Jesus. She loved him with everything. That's an important thing to know. That's an important thing to know about me because I believe that who Christ is is everything. It's everything in my life. It's everything that should be in my life. It is the honor that I have of being a child of God, a son of God, an heir of God, an ambassador of God, because he loves me. That's who he makes me to be. And so where do we go? I love grace. I love the goodness of God because it's a character. Y'all have heard me get up here and say that. The character of God is his goodness. Many of y'all have, have hear that God is good, God is good all the time. Yeah, okay, that's where I was. God is good, God is good. Yeah, sounds good. All this other junk is going on over here and over there, and it just doesn't feel like God is good all the time. But that's under a theory that God controls everything to our, to our detriment as well as to our good. Well, that's a, that's a lie. When I understood it was about the character of who God is, then I can say that God is good all the time. It doesn't make any difference what happens. God's goodness is looking out for you. It's his goodness that leads to repentance. It's kindness that leads us back to him and to repent. So we do have to go back to Genesis from that beginning moment after the fall where God takes us and he clothes us and he provides for us and he loves us. We are the continuation of the greatest story ever told, the the abundant, full love of God from the beginning until the end when all of us, all of us, those who are in Christ, will see God face to face. What God sees when he sees me, he sees Christ because he can't look on sin. He sees Christ who died for for us, who was pure in every way, 
that he that his he sees his love. And so when they say, Well, Alan, what about Alan? Or Alan number two as the case may be. <laughs> he says, What about Alan here? And Christ says, Alan's mine. Can you see Alan? Can you see Alan through me? And God nods in approval. He nods in approval. So I I showed you the first song. Um, so let me find my second song here. Here it is. I did happen to have it. So compare the two. This one, I will tell you, it's how deep the Father's love for us, right? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that, she, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch his treasure. And that's, that's pretty much who I was. I was that wretch. We had, a, uh, we had a, a, a former congregant here who told the story about being a wretched man. And I thought, gosh, boy, you're really hard on yourself. But that's where, where I was in reality. He said, how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, a shame I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished." I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give the answer, but I know this with all my heart. His wound has paid my ransom. I know that. And because he did that, I'm free. I'm stronger. I'm not afraid anymore. I don't live in fear anymore. Um, I've been challenged on many, many things, especially when I walk in, into a, a courtroom and I do battle with somebody. It used to be I was always trying to be a peacemaker. I don't do that anymore. I stand strong. Because I know Christ has set me free. So, if y'all will stand with me. My hope, my hope for each one of you is that you, you not only see how much God loves you, but you hear his voice calling you into that relationship with him, that he would clothe you, he would put his arms around you, that he would draw you to him in a loving relationship, in a loving relationship that he has desired from the time that we were created, from the very moment that he breathed life into our being. So if you need prayer today, I invite you to come up here I'm happy to pray with you. Would love to pray with you. 
if you have, if you want to be healed, if you want to just have a, a, any kind of issue or hurt or prayer for freedom, whatever it is, you know, you don't hide anything from God. He knows already. But you need the love of everybody else around you, the support of the people who know God and hear God and who want to love you also in that experience. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray today that you would bless everybody here, that you would bless those who are, who are listening to us, that you would honor each person here through your great and abundant love and mercy. Father, you love us so much. You love us so dearly. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful of what you meant in my life. I mean, I realized, Lord, that it could have gone south, and it had for so many years. But you called me in the midst of my own indecencies. You called me to be with you. And you did it with open arms, and you did it because you love me. And you love these people. You love the church. You love this creation that you have made so much that you call us, you call us, you long for us to come and be with you. So in the name of Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all who you are. Amen. Thank you, Alan. I think God, one, of, one of God's greatest desire uh, for us is that we, we know the, the depth of the love that he has for us. Um, I pray that this week, no matter what goes on, that, that we, each of us can remember the love of the Father and how great it, it is towards us and how his grace is always extended towards us. Um, if, if we, on a daily basis, can just have that so ingrained in our minds that you know, it's almost like nothing nothing can shake us, you know. So I hope you have a, a blessed week. Thank you for, for coming. And like Alan said, if anyone here would like prayer, we're going to have people up front. We would love to pray over you. If you're online, uh, please shoot us an email. Uh, contact us through our social media. Um, we'd love to pray for you that way. Uh, look forward to seeing you next week and hope to, hope to yeah, have a great week. Yeah.